done. Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator. It's every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents TJ Labello, Josh Thomas, and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA Part 2 of our previous episode. We talked a lot about Diego Sanchez and still fighting here in 2020 and a lot about the great welterweight division and some of the fun fights to make. All that segues perfectly into how we're going to kick off this episode. And it's about the card coming up this weekend. A lot of the focus, of course, on that main event between Holly Holm and Irina Danya. We'll talk about that fight. But really secretly... On this card, on the prelims, is the return of the natural-born killer Carlos Condit, another one of these legends who's a Hall of Famer once his career's over, but his career's just not coming to an end just yet. Carlos Condit in action this weekend as he will fight another veteran in Court McGee. Ooh. You know, I, as we've kind of talked about it, you know, the, the whole theme of this show might as well be uh, people who are kind of sticking around a little too long, and, and Condit's kind of, you know, when you get one arm, uh, a one arm Kimura or a one arm Americana from Kiesa, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. Yeah, when you get hit with something that wild, I can kind of look past that. Uh, you know, then the Cowboy Oliveira fight, you know, Cowboy busted him up really good. Condit's one of those guys where he's kind of in this Robbie Lawler predicament where. Yeah. I would like him to fight someone like Robbie Lawler, <clears throat> like Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Someone on the twilight of their career. And then they both be done, which is why I think the Nick Diaz matchup is just so incredible or, you know, a returning Dan Hardy would be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but he is taking on court McGee who court McGee as uh, game as they come had one of those kind of up and down careers in the UFC. Um, they are headlining the prelim card for UFC on ESPN home and Aldana. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, man. I, I, I love Carlos Condit and I love the body of work that Carlos Condit has put together, but his last couple fights just don't really, uh, you, know, you know, you hate to see your fighter lose, but you also hate to see your fighter lose fights that just a couple of years ago, they would have won. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of feel like, Yeah. I think, you know, Carlos Conner is one of my favorite fighters ever to watch. You know, I used to style a lot of things after him, especially uh, same side punch and kicks. You know, it's one of the things that your coach is always taught you not to do. But watching Carlos Condit, the way he would disguise a lot of his kicks by throwing hooks followed by the back kick, not karate style, just kind of herky-jerky was something that I used to love to emulate and something he done so well. I remember he did it against GSP and dropped GSP. Uh, he was a such a fun fighter. Of course – body of work you've mentioned it a lot here on the show and that that's what it is sometimes it's not really your physical age it's your fight age you got to think Carlos Condit is one of these guys I mean the natural born killer every fight he's ever been in has turned into a brawl uh the only fights that haven't are fights that he's lost really to be honest fights that he's just got taken down earlier so he's got clipped in or he's got wrestled uh when he's in a full brawl you know that's his style and that's when he's always been his best. The Robbie Lawler fight, uh, even the GSP fight, lost that fight. The Nick Diaz fight, you know, he won that fight controversially. But all those fights, he sort of was able to dictate the pace and have his style of fight. Here lately, it's something that he's just not able to do anymore. It's never his pace. It's never the Carlos Condit style fight. Now, the one good thing about the matchmaking here is Court McGee is another guy who, A, has never been really a top-tier fighter. 
But B is also kind of at that twilight point in his career. You know, 20 and 9 is his overall record. He's got a, uh, you know, a more of a wrestling base. He, he's got kind of that herky-jerky striking where a lot of the things he throws are setups to, to possibly grapple or get inside you to get double underhooks and try to take you down. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's a, it's interesting matchmaking due to the fact that we've seen Condit struggle a bit on the ground uh, in terms of Oliveira finishing him with the strikes on the ground. You mentioned the Mike Chiesa fight. So it's going to be interesting to see how that fight plays out and how Carlos looks. You know, is he going to be aggressive? Is he going to be tentative? He's definitely looked tentative in his last couple fights as well. But uh, I don't hate the matchmaking because it, you know, this isn't a young killer. It's not like they're, they're throwing him in there with one of those welterweights we just mentioned because you know how the UFC is. This is a fight that 100% could have been Carlos Condit uh, against some talented up-and-comer. You know, we, we could have seen him against someone like Daniel Rodriguez or against, you know, a, uh, you know, a Claudio Silva. I mean, that's, that's almost, or, you know, Biel Muhammad. That's sort of the UFC style, and they didn't do that this time. They put him in there with Court McGee, who's, you know, sort of on that, uh, I don't know, there's probably a list, like I said last week, with these guys who uh, probably, you know, aren't going to kill you or outpace you. You know, guys like Condit, guys like McGee, Matt Brown, Tim Means, Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, I'm going to add to that list now. Uh, these guys who are, uh, you know, still game, but definitely no longer in the prime of their career. So with that in mind, uh, I don't hate the booking, uh, but I, I am I am worried that um, obviously we're not there yet, but we're closing in on uh, that territory where it's it's time for the UFC to come along and go, look, man, you're a legend, you're you're a Hall of Famer, this has to be it. Yeah, and I I, I 100% agree, and. You know, like I started the show off by saying, you know, you don't want to see your fighters stick around too, too long. I think now is the perfect time for for Condit, you know, to get you know one more good win. And if if Court McGee is that win, there is no shame in that win at all because Court McGee, you know, twenty and nine, he's had a hell of a career, and almost he has almost this like cult like status outside of the fight world. For uh, you know, he was actually one of those guys, you know, kind of joins Matt Brown on this list of people who have. Uh, actually died outside of the octagon and then, you know, came back in to fight. So, uh, you know, Court McGee's not the worst uh, last send-off. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just moving forward after this is where, you you know, you kind of worry. And you hit it right on the head, man. He's been in wars. You know, you look at the GSP fight, you know, the Nick Diaz fight before that, uh, you know, Robbie Lawler. I mean, he's he's been in absolute wars. Um and he's been in there with the best, you know, the Rory McDonald's, the uh, Tyron Woodley's even, you know, Tyron actually was, was it was the leg kick that, uh, that uh, messed up Carlos's knee in that yeah. fight, you know, it's, towards MCL. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in a lot of, a lot of wars uh, to actually add to what you said a moment ago. I actually teach um, a little sequence of strikes based on Carlos's movement, actually. So I, I love Carlos Conant, man. Uh, but yeah, you know, I I would rather him be on the main card. I don't really like him on the prelim card, but you know, uh, you know, look at look at guys like Hinn and Burrell. You know, after Burrell lost the title, you know, Burrell was you know for the first or second fight on some of these cards. You know, yeah, that was um, a that was a bad fall from grace. I mean, that was that was yeah. a bad one. And you know, I don't I, Cond is just. I mean, he's just had such a. I mean, his last like five years have been just crazy. And I mean, it all started really with that Robbie Lawler fight. Because I mean. I scored that fight for for Condit, and I thought I thought it was pretty clear cut three two Condit yes, in my opinion. Uh, I don't even understand. I mean, I thought that was an easy fight to score, honestly. Um, and if it's not a Condit win, it's a draw. Uh, 
So that was why, but I mean, that fought, that fight, you know, was really, it almost seemed like that was everything he had left in the tank. He literally poured every bit of the natural born killer into that fight. And, uh, you know, he had no more left after that. And we've seen that the losses to Maya Bagdi, Cowboy or Cowboy Oliveira and, and Chiesa. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. I actually scored it 3-2 to Condit as well. Uh, and, you know, Robbie Lawler is one of my favorite fighters. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that he, he can pick up a win on Saturday and then move forward with the next endeavor in his life. You know, I know he's doing a lot of coaching at, uh, at Jackson Wink. You know, he started a coffee uh, company, I think, with his sons, actually. Really? Wow, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this could be the last send-off if it goes very well. And if not, you know, then, hey, we know who Diego Sanchez should fight next. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, Diego. I picked on Diego a lot this this podcast. I actually tweeted him the other day. And I said, hey, can I be in your corner for the next fight? <laughs> you know, he, he just lets anybody in there. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, that's very true. But this, this prelim card, man, this is one of those fight cards that will kind of fly under the radar because there's not a lot of big names on there. But what you do have, you have a guy in Casey Kinney, uh, the second fight of the card, uh, the, the second fight on the prelims, I'm sorry. Uh, Casey Kinney taking on Haley Atalang. Um, Casey Kinney's one of those guys at Bantamweight. You know, he's 14-2-1. He's definitely somebody to, to look at. And then the very next fight, you have women's strawweight. You have the former Invicta champ, Jinyu Frey making her second appearance uh, in the UFC. You know, she had kind of a little bit of a – um, a spoiled uh, debut against uh, Kay Henson, you know, in her very first fight. But Jeannie Frey is definitely somebody to check out. And then the fight before Carlos Connick and Court McGee, you have Charles Jordan taking on Joshua uh, Kilabau. Charles Jordan's one of those guys. He's from Canada. Uh, he has some big fights in the UFC as far as uh, he took on Duho Choi actually in Korea and uh, knocked Duho Choi out. Then he had a absolute banger uh, fight of the night with Andre Feely uh, pretty recently. He lost the decision there. Charles Jordan's one of those guys to definitely keep your eyes on. You know, we kind of talk about prospects and up-and-coming names to keep your eyes on. And he's a guy at featherweight to definitely keep your eyes on. Um, because had it not been for Andre Feely's kind of veteran uh, grit and veteran toughness, you know, Charles Jordan could have easily won that fight. Uh, you know, he's just a young kid. I think he's just 22 years old, and he's already got 13 pro fights. So definitely somebody to keep your eye on. Uh, Cody, as far as this prelim card, are you are you kind of interested, or do you want to jump onto the main card? Oh, well, you know, this, like you said, this is one of those cards that people will kind of look past, but it'll probably provide a lot of fun fights. Uh, and you, you hit them, you know, you're, you're the one with a great prospect insight here. Uh, Air Jordan's one of these guys who's going to be in the UFC a long time. Not sure if he'll ever be a title contender. He may eventually put it all together, but he's going to be in the UFC a long time because he will put on a show. Him against Duho Choi, him against Andre Philly. The only loss in the UFC outside of Philly was uh, against you know uh, Desmond, who just it was just a wrestling match, and we didn't know much about Air Jordan, and he begged the UFC, and all his coaches came forward and said, "Look, man, give him a striker, and he'll put on a show." And they said, "Fine, how about Duho Choi?" Thinking that they would reject it and they could cut him, and Jordan said, "Yeah, I'll fight him." And the UFC said, "Well, this is an easy win. Throw that thing in Korea." And Air Jordan put on a show that night. He's gonna be fun to watch. I love when his name pops up on a card, you mentioned Jinyu Fry, you know, Kay Hansen, who knows? That's one of these fights later on. We mentioned Adesanya and Marvin Vittori earlier. That could be similar to where Jinyu Fry could, could rise quickly into the top 15, top 10 of the strawweight division. And her one loss is against Kay Hansen, who could be a super prospect. You know, we're still keeping our eye on her, one of the youngest fighters in UFC history. 
and uh, you mentioned Casey Kenny as well. There, there's a lot of names on these other cards. This is one of the smaller cards, too. I believe this card lost some fights. Uh, Benil Darius was supposed to be on this card, and uh, this was also uh, this was supposed to be the Glover-Tiago uh, fight, right? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, so, and we've so, lost this for the second time. Which, by the way, your rant about booking absolutely uh, killed me. It was like I ranted about uh, people kind of staying a little too long, and you just ranted about the booking. So now the UFC is listening to this podcast. <laughs> Hopefully it's Matt Sarah that they let listen to our podcast, because I know Matt Sarah would definitely agree with us, but uh, we've definitely made some enemies in Dana White and Mick Maynard tonight. It's just, I mean, look, it's, I just don't like upsetting fight gods. I mean, there's a reason fights get canceled multiple times. I don't know why it's that clear, but uh, yeah, this card this weekend definitely got hit some, you know, it lost a few fights. And of course people will see the headliner as we jump over to the main card, Josh, they're going to see, you know, Holly Holm, who of course is the Ronda Rousey killer, but then has the reputation of, uh, you know, the UFC just is, it's almost like the UFC is just saying, please, Holly, become a, a title contender again. Please. Like, we're still, we're still banking on you to do something. She's definitely in a tough fight, though. Irina Danya is a very, very walk right at you, you know, walk through the gates of hell style striker. She comes right at you. Clean, clean boxing. Similar to what we see from Alexa Grasso, their teammates. They really have a similar style. Adanya just at 35. And, uh, you know, I, I love her style of fighting. She's got long arms. She uses almost that boxing traditional stance that makes her reach, her jab, and her cross much more effective. This is going to be a tough fight, uh, an extremely tough fight. And uh, I mentioned before we had on, you know, this card doesn't have the names. Of course, it, it's lacking in name value. Uh, but what you're going to see is really the women's bantamweight division rankings sort of clear up after Saturday night. Yeah, and, and you kind of hit the nail on the head a moment ago. Irene Aldana is not an easy fight for anybody. Um, I mean, she trains at Lobo MMA in Guadalajara uh, with Alexa Grasso, who had an absolutely incredible performance her last fight. Uh, and these are two girls, you know, they're teammates who could very well go on uh, to kind of have this, um, this city kickboxing kind of moment in the women's division, you know. Uh, you know, city kickboxing is home to – uh, Kaikara France and Israel Adesanya and Alex, Alexander Volkanovsky. Lobo Jim. Oh, yeah, Dan Hooker. Yeah. Uh, Lobo MMA in, in Guadalajara could be the home to maybe not two title, um, two title holders, but definitely two title contenders in Aldana and Alexa Grasso. Um, what's really crazy to me, though, is Irene Aldana kind of comes in here. She has a 12-5 and five record, and she's relatively unknown. Holly Holm has a 13-5 and five record, and people absolutely go crazy for her. And they have a lot of the, the similar striking styles as well. Um, at women's bantamweight, this it's definitely one of those fights to, uh, to watch because this is definitely – kind of going to determine who is the next uh, contender or maybe who could be uh, next in line for a title shot. At the same time, though, you're kind of right with this Holly Holm thing. You know, I like Holly Holm. Um, you know, if you follow her on social media, you know, she's a, a pretty good person and, and she has a fun personality. You know, a lot of the Jackson Link fighters have fun personalities. It's almost like the UFC's forcing her into these positions where, hey, you win this fight, you get a, you get a title shot. Hey, you win this fight, you know. Um, for me personally, as much as I love Holly Holm, I do not see her getting past Irene Aldana. Um, and that's just, it's one of those things that's kind of tough for me to kind of pick this fight because they are so similar, but 
Irene Aldana just kind of seems like she's going to be the crisper striker, and uh, she's going to kind of put it together just a little bit more than Holly. Then again, we could see one of those Holly home performances like she had against uh, Megan Anderson, you know, where she, you know, uses her clinch, uses her grappling really good, and, and kind of has this this really full circle moment where she does truly put it all together. Uh, so that's one of those fights that's super hard to tell. Yeah, and, you know, I agree 100%. You know, Holly Holmes, a fan favorite, and not taking any away from her, but the, the UFC's booking of her has made a lot of fans not so much turn against Holly, but just lose interest in seeing her fight. And, uh, you know, it's hard to cheer against Holly Holmes. Like you mentioned, she's an awesome person, a great personality, and a fun fighter to watch. She's not a boring fighter by any means. But it's just when a fighter is continuously put in these situations. But you know what? I don't blame Holly. I mean, I'll just be pretty blunt about it. The UFC's really done a shitty job building the women's bantamweight division. I mean, they have literally booked it so bad where it's just fell apart. Where you're just rotating the same girls in a circle. You're not bringing up prospects. You know, Caitlin Vieira, who defeated Sarge Eubanks uh, this past weekend, is really the only fighter with a little momentum. But her one loss here lately was to Irina Danya. So what you run the risk of is Aldanya then losing to home and then everything coming full circle again where your division is just really – on a on a treadmill almost going you know moving but not going anywhere at all and you know you also have Jermaine Durandamy against Juliana Pena Pena coming back to the women's bantamweight division Durandamy who's moved around to featherweight and has got the you know most outstanding reach and size in the division so to speak that will make her a threat uh, to to anyone and she's coming off the loss to Nunez after wins over Raquel Pennington and Aspen Ladd and of course those are two fighters who are in the top five of the division. This is just one of those things where, I mean, this division is literally, I mean, we were kind of talking about light heavyweight earlier. Light heavyweight looks like featherweight when you compare it to the women's bantamweight division. I mean, there's literally nothing to build on. You have no prospects. You have no up-and-comers. You know, Tracy Cortez, you know, she's kind of one of the names you can circle and say, this looks pretty good. And outside of that, man, I mean, there's just really not anything to get hopes up about champion or, you know, about a, a potential title challenger. And again, half the blame goes to Amanda Nunes for being dominant and being, you know, the best women's fighter of all time. But I just really think there's, you know, when you're matchmaking, you don't just put, you know, four to six and then six to, or four to six and three to seven. And then you just flip them. And that's what the UFC's done. They have always booked this division in a, in a rotation, in a circle, almost like a video game where they give you eight fighters and you have to continuously make those eight fighters fight each other all the time. That's not how the real life MMA works. You can pull fighters, move fighters, sign fighters, do whatever you want. And the UFC has always just not done that for some reason with the women's bantamweight division. They've also not promoted different fighters who are on, you know, the come up. So it's, it's a odd thing. And again, this show, Josh, and you, you know how we both are. These shows slip under the radar and they produce amazing fights, great fights, potentially star making fights. The fights we've not even talked about yet. Uh, you got, I, they believe they added Kyler Phillips to the show. He's our seven and one bantamweight with a lot of potential. Uh, De Castro at heavyweight against Carlos Felipe. Those are two bangers. The two guys will just go at it. They don't like each other either. It's going to be fun fights. But the women's bantamweight division is really the one division in the UFC that I, I literally could care less about. I really am never intrigued by a fight because I've seen all these fighters against the champion. I've seen all these fighters against the top tier. It just doesn't do anything for me. Flyweight division I'm, I'm intrigued by because I want to see 
you know, who's next for Valentina. And they have some things moving around there. Women's strawweight division is incredibly fun to watch because you have so much talent. Women's featherweight division, in my mind, doesn't even exist. I just pretend it doesn't exist. So, <laughs> and then, you know, all the men's divisions, they've done a, you know, flyweight was getting close to me not caring about it. But in there the last year, they've really got me all in and being super intrigued by everything happening there. So it's just this 135 division or let's say 135 and up. <laughs> I just, there's nothing there. And this weekend's a prime example. I mean, if, if Holly Holm and Jermaine Duran to me win, which I, I predict they both will, what happens then? I mean, do you do Nunez and Holm? Do you do Nunez Duran to me again? Do you do Duran to me and Holm again? Since our first fight was a bit controversial. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to get excited when, I can't even outline a future past these two fights. Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree. This is one of those divisions where, you know, until we see more out of Tracy Cortez, you know, she could, because she, right now, you know, Tracy Cortez is an absolutely uh, beautiful young girl. She's young, uh, comes from the same training camp as Henry Cejudo, but we've only seen her, well, if you include the contender series, we've seen her twice. Uh, so, you know, she's, she's definitely someone to look out for, but she's not in this top 10 yet. Uh, so when you, when you start really kind of thinking about what to do with this division, you know, Amanda Nunez last three fights were Felicia Spencer, Jermaine, Jermaine Durandamy and Holly Holm. Okay. You look at your number two in this division is Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, your number three is Holly Holm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and after that, you know, add, uh, Aspen Ladd who fought Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, you know, you've got, Raquel Pennington, who has a loss to Holly Holm and a loss to uh, the champ. And then you have Irene Aldana at six. You know, if, if Aldana can get past uh, Holly Holm, then there's no reason at all not to book Aldana and, and Nunez, just to kind of spice it up. Uh, and, you know, with Juliana Pena coming back, she's taken a lot of time off. She's been doing the Invicta uh, commentating stuff. I hope that she's in the right mindset coming back and could potentially get like a submission win over Jermaine Durandamy. That's just wishful thinking, but at least we would have some sort of uh, like a, a nice little mixture in the, in the group having uh, a Pena win and an Aldana win. But you're absolutely right, man. This, this is one of the most stale divisions in the UFC, if not the most stale. Um, I, well, I mean, women's featherweight, but you know, this, <laughs> you know, it don't exist. Yeah, it, it, in my mind, I'm kind of with you. It, it doesn't really exist. You know, you've got Felicia Spencer, Megan Anderson. Uh, yeah. They're just yeah. bigger bantamweights. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is, just bigger bantamweights. I mean, uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of with you. This, the main event isn't really doing a lot for me. It's the, the prelim that I'm really coming for, man. And, and I'm not going to lie. Um, as far as prelims go, you know, like I said, uh, you know, you've got uh, Casey Kinney will be an absolutely great fight. I'm really curious to see how Junior Frey uh, performs coming off a loss. And then, you know, Air Jordan, you know, Charles Jordan. And then Carlos Condit. And then other than that, the main card, man, to me, it's it, this is one of those man cards that we're probably going to watch and we're probably going to be eating our words next week, Cody, because it's probably yep. going to be knockouts in every single fight. Yep. But uh, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, you've got a seven and one bantamweight in Kyler Phillips. Uh, you know, Durandamy versus Pena could be a really good fight. You know, depending on uh, what Juliana Pena shows up. 
Uh, and then Jorgen DeCastro and uh, Carlos Felipe. I, Jorgen DeCastro is a decapitator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it could – and, you know, Aldonian home could be fireworks as well. You know, it's one of those things that you truly don't know. But just looking at it on paper, man, this, this card doesn't really excite me all that much. Uh, sure, it's, it's, it's getting us through the week. Yeah, right. and yep. then, you know, next week we'll have, you know, Marlon Moritz and Corey Sanhagen, you know, we'll have Ben Rothwell, you know, we'll have a couple more fights to talk about. But but this card for me just, you know, it's yeah. one of those, it's, you know, it's one of those cards. But, yeah, I agree. you know, it's it's these cards that, that sometimes have fireworks written all over them, you know. Oh, yeah, and I definitely agree. And, and you mentioned, I mean, if Arena Donya goes in there and, and I mean, say she lands a pinpoint, if she finishes home, that sort of changes that dynamic of things. But, I mean, that's, you know, it's a tough thing to do against someone like Holly Holm. And uh, just to make sure we do the uh, traditional route, uh, Josh, who you, or are you leaning towards Holly Holm, the veteran, or do you like Aldonia to, to sort of uh, make a statement and possibly earn a future title shot? Wishful thinking, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Irene Aldonia just because we need some sort of um, some sort of difference in this division, and and I truly think that her striking is just gonna be a little bit more crisp for the kind of battle worn Holly Holm. Yeah, I would. I'll actually lean towards Holm. I, I think this is a, a five rounder. I, I think if it is five rounds, I believe it's five rounds. I, I would think uh, Holm's footwork you know again she's she's aging she's got a lot of fights on her but she's still you know one of the prize prospects of that jackson camp i think she'll use her footwork she'll move around uh, she'll mix in her kick game well against going against someone who's a much more traditional boxing south fighter i think home will use her her well-roundedness and uh you mentioned for, for you know this is a car that got hit with some injuries or with i believe injuries and, and covid of course with losing a few fights and Tom Brady's and KB Bilar. That was one of those fights that was going to be real fun. Just an underrated fight. That fight was moved. I believe it might even be on next week's show. Now I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but as you mentioned, next week's card's huge. We've been talking about Tracy Cortez. She fights next weekend against another good prospect and B Malecki. So that's going to be a fun fight. You got uh, Marlon Moraes, Corey Sanhagen in that main event next week. I believe the co-main event is Edwin Barbosa against Americani. I believe that's the co-main next weekend. Uh, Alejandro Perez, Thomas Almeida, Rothwell against Tiberia. So next week's card uh, definitely got some more name value and just three weeks away from uh, Korean Zombie against Brian Ortega. And that's a fight, Ooh. man. That's, you know, I, I, get, I get that fear because, like I said, you know, sometimes the fight gods are trying to tell you something. So I'm trying not to get too excited about that fight. Don't say it. But that, that is a super fun fight. And uh, Vulcan Ozdemir against Nita Krylov. One of those guys look good. That's a game changer at 205. Caitlin Chukagian against the new flyweight, Jessica Andrade. Uh, those are some real fun fights three weeks from now. And then, of course, uh, October 24th. The big pay-per-view, 254, Khabib, Gagey, Whitaker, Cannoneer. Uh, that main card is just – I mean, it's its just silly. You got Alexander Volkov, Walt Harris, an underrated heavyweight fight. Cynthia Calvillo against Lord Murphy. That could be a title eliminator at featherweight. Uh, you got Javier Dos Anjos returning to action. Ion Kutaleba is back in action. Uh, Stefan Shrub is going to fight Taichu Avasa, who got cut and then re-signed instantly. He's going to be on the prelim there. Um <laughs> So many fun fights, and then the month closes with the Halloween spooky card where you got Uriah Hall, Anderson Silva. You got the crochet boss, Maurice Green, against uh, Greg Hardy, Bryce Mitchell, and Andre Feely, which, I mean, that's a fight just to highlight because that that fight's going to be crazy. I I literally, uh, right under 
Zombie Ortega and Khabib Gagey. That's the fight I can't wait for the most this month is Bryce Mitchell and Andre Feely. So, uh, look, you know, we may – I know Josh and I may not sound too excited for the card this weekend, but October's a great month of fights. Oh, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. Brian Ortega and Korean Zombie, three weeks away, man. We finally get to see how Brian Ortega moves forward after – uh, you know, the onslaught that, that Max Holloway is, you know, Max Holloway is one of the best pressure fighters in the game, put on a clinic against Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega switched camps and now taking on the surging Korean zombie who just came off the uh, knockout win over Frankie Edgar. Um, you know, and, and like you mentioned it a moment ago, you've got uh, Bryce Mitchell and Andre Feely. Bryce Mitchell is one of those guys. I put him on my prospective list a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bryce Mitchell is one of those guys that is almost more fun out of the cage than he is in the cage sometimes. <laughs> you know, this is just an absolute character. You know, he's he's been trying to get these damn camo Reebok shorts. I hope he gets them, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, you know, Justin Gaethje and Habib Nurmagomedov, Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Alexander Volkov and Walt Harris, Rafael Dos Anjos, Islam Makachev. I mean, just absolute uh, banger matchups coming up to us. And that's one of those cards, you know, you get the early prelims and you get the actual prelims. So that's going to be a huge night of fights on October the 24th. Um, and just to head up, Josh, in case you didn't know, but uh, remind everybody at home, that card starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So yes. that's what time that. That's what time the uh, pay-per-view starts, I'm sorry. So the pay-per-view is at 2 o'clock. So that means those prelims are going to be like at 12 noon. Just a heads up for everybody wondering. That card is going to be a little weird. Yeah, if you remember, they done uh, Dustin Poirier versus Khabib the same way, and yep. I absolutely loved it, man. Oh, I yeah. I know if you're on the West Coast, it's super nice because, you know, you can you can get home by, you know, 10 p.m. on the West Coast. But out here on the East, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of the, the last to win here, you know. Got kids, uh, man. Yeah, for real, man. We do. We Both of us do. Both of us do, yeah. Um, I, you know, I wanted to bring it up because it was mentioned this week. Robbie Lawler and Mike Perry. Or in, it's in the works, or it's official? It's official November 21st on the uh, pay-per-view with the flyweight title fights. Figueroa, Garbrandt, Shevchenko, Maya. I've been saying that I would rather see Mike Perry enter some sort of drug rehab or a, uh, you know, some sort of facility to kind of get him on the right path. Because that guy, he's one of those people that has all this talent and they're just wasting it outside of the cage man Robbie Lawler you know I know Mike Perry called for this fight a couple years ago uh you know Robbie Lawler I only want to see him fight strikers from now on so you know it could be you know it could be good for us us Lawler fans but uh you know that's one of them that kind of got made uh just recently I'm trying to scour my notes here to to look for anything else that got booked uh Esther Lynn, the the MMAfighting.com uh, photographer, Esther Lynn is stepping down or stepping away from MMAfighting.com. Uh, she's moving into freelance and voiceover. A lot of people might not know who Esther Lynn is, and they're probably like, oh, why are you mentioning her? She has taken some of the most iconic photos over the last couple of years. You know, Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald, uh, Khabib and Connor, Connor and Jose. You know, she's taken a lot of absolutely beautiful photos over the years. Um, so that's, that's really sad to see her, uh, to see her step away, but the big one, Cody, the fucking big one, December the 12th in Dublin, supposedly 
supposedly December the 12th in Dublin, a sparring match that will be aired for free uh, in benefit of the Good Fight Foundation and a couple other charities. Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, number two. The UFC has officially offered this fight to Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. Dustin Poirier tweeted earlier he is in. He has signed everything. He is ready to go. We're just waiting on the Conor side now. However, Conor has said that he wants to do a sparring match with Dustin. Um, I guess he's trying to avoid going the UFC route. Cody, what do you make of that? Okay, well, I'm going to burst some bubbles. There is 0% chance that fight happens in Dublin on December 12th. There's no way it's a sparring <laughs> match. There's no way it happens. Uh, this is Conor McGregor, and uh, I got air quotes right now, Mayweather Entertainment, uh, or I'm sorry, McGregor Entertainment. I think he, st- he pulled from Floyd when that fight happened. He's just made his own brand. Uh, what happens is that's a, that's a marketing ploy uh, for Conor sort of saying, well, looky here, man, I, I can run my own thing because he is that big where he really can. Uh, but what will end up happening is either A, the UFC will end up making that fight happen and, and do something with that, or B, the UFC will pull the plug because just a friendly reminder that both guys are under contract, which means that there will be no paper, free pay-per-view sparring match for a benefit. If nothing else, the UFC will donate their money to chair to the charity and uh, say, yeah, you guys aren't doing that. So I think um, I think it's an interesting move by, by Connor and Dustin uh, to kind of throw things out there. But uh, I, I think if, if that's the fight that's really getting worked on, uh, that's a great fight. It's a great good fight for, for Connor to come back again. Of course, Connor would be confident. He's, he's beat Poirier before, beat Poirier pretty easily. Uh, for Dustin Poirier, he's, he's on the top of the world. You know, he's a guy who's looks great in every single one of his fights, including the loss against Khabib. Uh, there's, there's fun fights out there in that lightweight division, but I do think w- without question, I think we've been talking about this for, for weeks, for months now, that that's, that's the good fight. You know, that's the fight at lightweight that, that makes the most sense. If, if Poirier and McGregor were, were to rematch, um, the only, the only tricky thing about that is, is, you know, figuring out when and, and where, and I think I've said from the beginning, the UFC probably has you know of course the UFC wants to use Connor but man putting Connor in an empty arena just just does not feel right it just doesn't feel right and uh, I think the UFC is really holding on hope that if they can just keep McGregor from doing something stupid for the next few months you could have at least you know ten thousand fans. I yes. mean, I, I yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a huge question. And even the sparring thing, I know it's for a good cause in the way they're promoting it. But I mean, this this is Conor McGregor, you know, going on doing his own thing. I mean, it's just like the Manny Pacquiao thing. I mean, from from what I've heard, that's more legit than the Poirier thing. I mean, that's that's legit being worked on and legit to being finalized. Uh, it's just you know, Conor McGregor is under contract with the UFC, and anything he does has to be signed off now he has the ability to go book his own things but it has to be approved so uh i think at the ufc they would rather use connor in at the ufc cage and let him go box manny pacquiao just because you know who knows how that goes uh i really hope the ufc will will give in here and meet whatever demands connor wants and try to make this fight happen but I also hope this could sort of be the way the UFC welcomes back fans. I mean, you got a lot of places right now. Uh, you know, if, if anyone's watching football, NFL, college football, you know, they're allowing fans. Of course, they're in giant stadiums. Uh, but I, I think there's got to be a way that we can at least do, you know, somewhere between, you know, five and 10,000 fans pretty socially distanced, even if you need to go to a, a huge venue. 
Um, I think if you're going to do a McGregor fight, that would be sort of the way to go. I, I just think the UFC is not too interested, Josh, in doing McGregor versus anybody in an empty arena. I just think that's a, that's an, that's just not going to work. I just don't think that that financially makes sense. Yeah. And, and I've, I've been bursting all my friends bubbles today as well. They've been messaging me about this. Look, I, the Muhammad Ali, uh, what is it? It's the Muhammad Ali act, right? Yep. That, that is what enables other fighters to fight freely among promotions. Correct. Yes. The UFC pretty much said, fuck that. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh, so they are one of the only promotions where you're not allowed to really do anything. I think you can do Naga uh, and you can do maybe Eddie Bravo Invitationals just because they're a fight pass thing. Yeah. Uh, you can do Quintet Ultra. You can do the, the Chael Sonnen, you know, submission. Underground. And you can do stuff like that. that but is- still, anything you do, though, the UFC has to sign off of. Yeah, 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 and that's that's stuff that's essentially through the UFC because they're you know it's on Fight Pass and they have a contract with the UFC, so the, the UFC is more likely to sign off on things like that as opposed to something like this, uh, where they could potentially take the risk of losing two top five or top ten, however you want to put McGregor in there, uh, lightweights at a time like this where. I mean, you know it as well as I do. Fights fall through every single day. I do not want to curse Justin Gaethje and Khabib, but it is very possible that one of these two men could indeed have to step up. Uh, so that would a that would you know mess that plan up. B, you don't want to take a chance of, let's say Gaethje wins. You know his most recent loss was to Dustin Poirier. So I can't imagine if if if. Uh, Gaethje was to win, they would definitely want to give him either McGregor or Poirier. And uh, neither guy's going to want to squander that away with a sparring match in, in Dublin, you know. And what uh, the hell is a, a, a televised or pay-per-viewed sparring match anyways? What, is, what even is that? I mean, who, who wants to see that? I mean, are you dudes going to fight or are we going to spar? Like, are we teammates or what are, what's happening? <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying, man. It's just, there's too many uh, – there's too many little little factors in there to kind of think about. And, and I, I've been saying all day because people have been asking me, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I don't think it's going to happen. I think what could happen is we could see them face-to-face in the same room, maybe signing autographs, uh, maybe a potential like an open workout kind of thing, maybe at the most. But there is no damn way that these guys are about to have a sparring match. The most that could happen is maybe Dustin Poirier flies to Ireland and they have a, a true sparring match in a gym, and then maybe McGregor or Poirier were to film it and release the footage. You know, that's maybe something like that, and then they charge, you know, for the food. I don't know. I don't even know if that would be legal, right? Uh, because they, that's the reason they didn't uh, reveal the, the Conor McGregor polymolinology sparring yeah. stuff, right? I mean, that's just – I mean, it's just what, – what would you even do that, though? I mean, I mean, Poirier wants that fight. I mean, I'm assuming that McGregor don't really care because, you know, he can do really whatever he wants. But from Dustin Poirier's perspective, I mean, you should want that fight because you want to get that revenge. That's a that's the biggest win of your career. That's the quote-unquote red panty night. I mean, that's, you know, that's a title in its own right is beating Conor McGregor. So, you know – being all chummy with him and going and doing all this stuff that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and, you know, you, you perfectly said it, you know, the Gagey, if Gagey somehow goes in there and pulls off the the miracle and beats Nurmagomedov, if we're not doing an immediate rematch, which with Khabib's schedule, I doubt we would, you'd move right to Gagey Poirier or you'd move right to Gagey McGregor. It'd be one of those two fights without question 
uh, because of course, you know, Connor uh, got into some hot water this weekend when he released the uh, DMs between him and Dana, where they're talking about Justin Gagey and uh, also talking about fighting Diego Sanchez. I know, Josh, I want to get your take on that because you've had, oh. you've had, you've had so much fun with Diego Sanchez. Did you read about all that where Dana, Dana straight up said we would lose our promoter's license if we did you and Diego in Ireland? Uh, Dan Hardy said earlier it would be a fucking execution, and I 100% agree. If you think Diego Sanchez is smoking fucking DMT and doing yoga for 10 hours a day right now, imagine how scrambled he's going to be after Connor connects that left hand. I just I can't imagine them wanting to do Diego that dirty. Uh, and for two, if Josh Fabia, I'm gonna I'm gonna really nail this dude right now. If he was to corner Diego for that fight, 100%, I would not watch it. 125%. I can't. You've got you. Mm. I love that. I love that that he released. I know that's what what Dana say broke the bro code or whatever releasing those those DMs. But it it was interesting to read. But uh, yeah, this I is this is wildly unprofessional. It, I mean, it's I just, would like to challenge Joshua Fabia to a sparring match. Ooh. See, I'll, I'll, I'll donate to charity or whatever I need to do to watch that. I'm down. Hey, we'll, we'll donate to the Good Fight Foundation. If Joshua hey. Fabia comes to my gym and spars me three full rounds, but that's never going to happen because that dude's a fucking quack. He actually blocked me on Twitter. No big deal. Oh, well, well, there you go. I'll reach out to him. I think I'm unblocked. Or I'll use the baseline Twitter and be like, hey, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, just the old bait fun. and switch. The old bait and switch. No, but there, there's a lot of interesting things. With I, I mean, I do think the UFC will use – I think when the UFC is, is cleared to welcome fans back, there is no way it will be on some – Yeah, let me look at the schedule I just had pulled up. So the UFC shows right now booked in December is uh, the 5th, which is the Hermanson Teal – fight card uh don't know if that's in fight island or not you of course they'll probably go back to fight island and then 256 is probably the last pay-per-view of the year december 12th that's the usman burns nunez anderson card uh so um i don't know what the ufc is going to do towards the end of the year towards early january uh but again with with so many places and I, i believe you know what I'm looking at is is the NBA, and you know they're about to they're about to end this season, but they're supposed to be starting next season in December. And what they plan to do is travel. And what they plan to do is allow fans in attendance. Uh, pro wrestling, I just read, they're about to go back on the road. Once things like that, who work in these same venues as the UFC, of course, the WWE goes to the same venues as the UFC. Uh, the UFC loves to use basketball arenas when they're out of season or when they're playing uh, or they're on road trips. When those venues start being used for those events that they're, they get most of the, the, more, the more frequent revenue from, of course, uh, I believe you know, the NBA is playing uh, 40-some games at their home venues a year. WWE usually goes to these venues four to five times a year. The UFC usually does one show at a various place. Once that starts happening, the UFC will feel comfortable having fans. Um, they're probably going to go big. Uh, they're not going to put on – you know, again, not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but they're not going to put Holly Holm and Irina Danya in the first fight with fans. They're not going to put on, you know, Tiago Santos, Glover to share a first fight card with fans. Uh, they're going to, they're going to go, they're going to go in and they're going to have a big show and they're going to go to a large venue like the T-Mobile and just not allow full capacity and social distance to do all those things. Uh, and I would say that that's when the UFC will break open the checkbook. And that's when we're probably talking I mean, I would hope that McGregor would be the name of the list. Probably more so Jorge and Colby. 
but I'm sure if the UFC can can negotiate with Connor, because I mean that's the hardest thing. It's it's Connor will fight anybody. It's negotiating with Connor that I think the UFC gets a headache with. But um, I think he just likes giving him a headache, honestly. I mean, he really does, and it's because he can. I mean, he's almost in that that Tito and Chuck Liddell frame where he is in control. You know, there. You know, Dana can't say anything to him. I mean, there, there's. I mean, if Connor, you know, releases all these DMs and Dana gets all freaked out and mad, if Connor would have called him the next day, be like, "Sorry, man. You know, let, let's book a fight with Paul Felder next weekend." Bro, Dana would have it done it would get done instantly because you know it's conor mcgregor he has that control and anything he wants to be a part of is going to be huge which is why he can have a poster printed and tweet about this friendly sparring match and people are like oh yeah conor's back like you know it's just it's not that kind of thing but uh i do think we're probably i I do think we'll see conor fight sometime i don't want to say before the end of the year but I think we'll have a Conor McGregor booking by the end of the year. It may not happen until January, February, but I think he'll be on a. I think we'll have a confirmation about his next fight by the end of the year. I think that's. I think that's the direction we're heading, and you know, I think it's a pretty safe bet. It, there's a lot of interesting things out there, and, and you know, Conor is going to give us a real fun tweet on the 24th when Gagey and Magomedov happens, whether he's talking about Gagey, whether he's talking about Khabib, whether he just throws out Poirier's name, you know, there, there's going to be something from Conor about that fight. So, and, and you know, lightweight is fun right now. And I mean, this is a, a fun time to be in this, this division. So, you know, if, if Poirier can't get anything matched with McGregor, I mean, you got to think Paul Felder really wants to fight Poirier. I know, uh, obviously Michael Chandler now is added to the mix and that's a fun variable where there's so many fun fights you could do with Mike Chandler. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of different things happening there. So, uh, McGregor's obviously the, I don't want to say the dark horse because of course he's the main horse, but there, <laughs> there's, there's, there's he really, I mean, there's, it all sort of, st- even it could be the champion. It revolves around what Connor wants to do. So, uh, sparring match, that's not happening. But I do think that that's a that's a big step. I mean, that's that's gonna really get the ball rolling because that's gonna make the UFC brass go. All right, we got We got to get something done. So uh, I look for them to have something something booked with him uh, pretty soon, probably within the next thirty days, but definitely by the end of the year. Uh, Cody, I've asked you the last two weeks now if you have uh, fights, three big fights to leave guests with. We can give them six fights in total to hold them over until fight night. Uh, have you put preparation into this? Oh, there's so many good fights, man. And I always forget. So now I got to rack my brain. Do you have this? I want to hear right. yours. Okay. So, uh, for anybody that watched the pay-per-view over the weekend, you've seen the UFC started doing this new thing on UFC fight pass called fight Lord, which has a lot of really cool, uh, stories uh, about fighters or sometimes about fights. They have a new season coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. And the very first episode of this new season is supposedly featuring uh, one Evan Tanner, right? Who Evan Tanner is a tragic story. Uh, he was the, actually he was the third middleweight champion in UFC history. A lot of people kind of forget about Evan Tanner or he kind of slips under the radar. A lot of times when people think Mac on former champions, um, but he, you know, he, he beat Robbie Lawler, you know, he's had some huge, um, huge huge uh fights in the ufc and or for that time 
Uh, so the very first fight that I want to give people who might not know who Evan Tanner is, and I don't want to tell his story um, about his death because truthfully, I, I think there's a lot of variables that we as like fans truly don't know. So I don't want to uh, put my opinion out there and cloud anybody's judgment. But the first fight I want to give you is Evan Tanner versus David Terrell. Uh, very back and forth fight. Uh, Evan Tanner ends up securing uh, the middleweight title. Uh, like I said, huge back and forth fight. I mean, Evan Tanner was really hurt during that fight. Super fun fight to kind of introduce people to Evan Tanner, uh, you know, in preparation of fight lore uh, coming out, right? Uh, so my second fight uh, is going to have to be the Dustin Poirier-Max Holloway fight, just because um, I actually had Max Holloway slided to win that fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier just, man, he rises to the occasion. And as of late, you know, he's looked absolutely incredible. Uh, this was the, uh, it was for the interim lightweight title, uh, Max Holloway's first appearance at UFC lightweight. And uh, really good scrap. I mean, they were both bloody as shit. They, they really pounded on each other. It was a really good five-round fight. Uh, and this was actually the fight before we got Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, it was UFC 236. Um, and then so for my third fight, I'm going to kind of throw it back here. Uh, but I'm going to do TJ Dillashaw and Hennan Burrell. And that was, uh, you know, TJ Dillashaw probably the biggest undercard uh, on the entire fight card that night, taking on Hennem Burrell, who at one point, Cody, if you remember, Hennem Burrell was the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. The guy was unbeaten for 10 years. He was like uh, like a Jose Aldo almost. You know, he had this this legend behind him, and there was a lot of talk about putting Hennem Burrell against uh, a prime Dom Cruz who was uh, out with, um, I believe, plantar, plantar fasciitis, correct, or – and he also had like his second knee surgery at the time and uh his he was it wasn't he wasn't recovering yeah 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 so i mean he hit him Ralph stepped in became the interim champ um uh, the ended up i guess unifying the title without dom cruz i guess became the yeah uh, the bantamweight champion though he, he beat uriah TJ, yeah, yeah 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 that's that's what it was it beat, beat uriah uh, but coming into this fight, though, TJ Dillashaw, you know, we knew him from the Ultimate Fighter. We knew him from, uh, you know, a couple scraps here and there. We knew he was Uriah Faber's teammate, uh, you know, a Chad Mendes teammate. We kind of knew about Alpha Male, but we had no idea that TJ Dillashaw would go on to put on an absolute fucking master class against Hennem Burrell. So if you guys haven't seen those three fights, that's uh, Evan Tanner and David Terrell. Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway, and then to finish it off, TJ Dillashaw is by far my favorite fighter uh, in the UFC. You know, scrap what he done outside the UFC, you know, his his suspension or whatever. But uh, you know, I kind of come from that Bang Muay Thai system, and I absolutely love the Bang Muay Thai system. And he just he puts it together so well, man. I mean, he he'll chop you with leg kicks and then come right back up top and then right back down. I mean, you truly have no idea where he's gonna hit you. And he's just so clean and so aggressive, man. And, and he's so calm and slick when he's fighting. It's just truly a beauty to watch, especially in this fight. 
Yeah, and uh, that's that's the first fight, by the way. If you go watch the second fight, that's just that's just an ass whooping. I mean, the, oh, the, the first geez. fight, the first fight, you at least have the confidence in Hina Burrell because TJ beat that out of him, and it was never the same after that. But the first fight was definitely the coming out party for TJ. TJ uh, bought a six pack of ass whooping. He shook every can and, and oh, it was him and opened every one of them. And Hennan was literally. I mean, you were. We talked about it earlier in the show. It's a fall from grace that there's there's never been before. I mean, just we talked so much about T Wood. Hina Burrell made that popular to lose your title and then just free fall and like i mean josh said earlier but this dude went from being the number one pound for pound guy in the world to literally starting off the preliminary cards so i mean that's that's how far of a fall hannah burrell took up oh yeah that's also a good point look man i'm gonna take a different route here just for josh i got three diego sanchez fights to remember the old nightmare okay i don't know what his nickname is now (laughs) i don't i don't know what his nickname (laughs) is now but i'm gonna I'm talking the nightmare. So look, the Diego Sanchez Clay Guida fight is a Hall of Fame fight. I prefer though, my favorite Diego Sanchez fight is the fight against Carol Parisian back in August of 2006. Man, those two guys, I mean, that was when, you know, Carol was the heat. He was a legit prospect. People thought he was a future champion. Diego was this high up and comer. Everyone thought he was a future champion. It was a great fight to make, went to decision as a lot of Diego fights did, but it's 15 minutes of just back and forth. Caro trying to use his judo, Diego using just that wild come at you style. Uh, it's really what oh, Diego was that brawler back in the day. I mean, that was prime Diego, where I mean, you had to kill him to to put him down. Uh, definitely one of my favorite Diego fights, and I really think was his best performance. Of course, the Guida fight was real close and a better overall fight, but just the way Diego handled everything in that fight, just a great scrap to look back on. Uh, then you want to go down. You obviously want to talk about two of the best brawlers of all time. When you think Diego, you think Ultimate Fighter. Well, think about him against another Ultimate Fighter and Nate Diaz. I mean, obviously two Hall of Famers, uh, two guys who at the time were you know still just looked at as prospects. You know, not Hall of Famers yet. I think that was uh, the second ever finale of the Ultimate Fighter, or the Ultimate Fighter two finale. Him against Nick Diaz, excuse me, not Nate. Him against Nick and and just a great fight between Diego and Nick Diaz. Two guys who just went in there and just always come at you. And, and Nate Diaz was a few years from being on the Ultimate Fighter. Diego and Nick put on another three-round show at welterweight is when Diego was undefeated and trying to keep that undefeated record. He, I mean, both guys were still super young at the time. It's crazy to think now we talk about these guys you know, being on their, their twilight and we're talking about Nick making a comeback. But these two fought, Diego was 24, I think, and Nick was only 22. So it was it was a wild fight, but another win for Diego. And, and then, of course, Diego had a good fight that really, it feels like it was more recent, but it was 2013, which is now a really long time ago. But uh, the fight that Josh mentioned earlier, him and Gilbert Melendez had just a wonderful fight. It was one of the best lightweight fights of all time, and it was between two guys that really just had a lot to prove. Gilbert was fresh in the UFC off that great run in strike force where a lot of people wondered if you came over from Strike Force, if you were, you know, if you were a world champion in Strike Force, were you even top five, top ten of the UFC? And he gets put in there with Diego Sanchez, a guy who had fought for a title, was a heavy underdog. People thought Gilbert would either blow through him or or you know, which which this was at the time where Diego was starting to show signs of getting a little weird. We just we just never knew which Diego was gonna show up. Um, on this night, it it might have been the final time too. We really seen the dog, the nightmare, that that Diego Sanchez that had no quit in him. Uh, these two guys put on just a, a great fight. It was one of those fights where neither guy gave any ground, stood right in front of each other and traded. Uh, and honestly, 
I talked earlier, you know, about how Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit sort of put everything they had into their fight, and neither guy was the same after that. This was sort of the same thing. Um, Gilbert Melendez, Diego Sanchez both had a lot to prove, but that was really the final big fight for either one of them. After that, things kind of went south for both men. But uh, if you're looking back, if you heard this podcast and you're like, man, Diego Sanchez sucks. Well, he's not always sucks. He just sucks now. If you look back at his old fights, this dude was a legit Hall of Famer. I know sometimes when you think Hall of Fame and, and things like that, you only think of champions and guys who went on these great uh, you know, championship runs. Uh, in this sport, it's about guys who entertained. I mean, with Diego Sanchez, I mean, you're talking countless, at least 15 fights that are just completely fun to watch. I mean, every time, even fights he lost, and even fights he was on, sort of the undercard. He always put on a show. He had a great fight with Jake Ellenberger, great fight with Martin Campman, great fight with Joe Stevenson, great fight with Joe Riggs, Kenny Florian. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Paulo Thiago, who is not always the most fun guy to watch. Of course, Diego Sanchez gets in there with him and has one of the best fights of the year. I mean, the Diego Sanchez, prime Diego Sanchez, uh, really should go down in history as one of the most fun fighters in the world to watch, which I think is part of the reason Josh and I both are, are just so disappointed that he's still fighting because what happens is the longer you fight, the harder it is to remember you as your prime. My favorite fighter of all time is Forrest Griffin, and I am so thankful that he called it quits when he did. And I know it was due to injury, and he was very unhappy about it, but you know, I don't have a memory of Forrest looking like complete dog shit. You know, I have memories of him sort of getting the older, starting to fight more athletes and start to look a bit slower than some of these up-and-comer, these well-rounded guys. Uh, but, you know, never did Forrest look like he did not belong. You know, some of his later fights, I mean, you can say whatever you want about the Anderson Silva fight, but that's not that he didn't belong. That was that Anderson Silva was the greatest of all time. Forrest Griffin, you know, retired at that perfect time, and it's just not something you see every now and then. So, um you know, guys like Diego Sanchez, it kills me to watch him fight because when I think of Diego, I mean, I think of the Clay Guida fight. I think of the Nick Diaz fight, the Carol Parisian fight. Uh, I don't want to think about him trying Jorge Masvidal flying knees and almost kneeing himself in the face. Those are not <laughs> the lasting images I want of a guy who I think is a first ballot Hall of Famer if he ever retires. Yeah, and, and I know I've spent a lot of the, the podcast here kind of shitting on Diego. It's because I truly do not want to see him enter this BJPN sort of uh, uh, moment in his career. And that's, you know, I kind of want to nominate Diego as our honorary fighter of the day for this podcast because, I mean, you're exactly right, man. You can go back and look at Diego's uh, body of work. It's bloody. It's brutal. He was the... I dare I say it he was almost Justin Gaethje before Justin Gaethje you know oh yeah he, he would just he would sit in the pocket and just one two one two one two just right one after the other and that Gilbert Melendez fight is just a prime example the Clay Guida fight prime example and you know people have made a name off of knocking out uh Diego as well you know Matt Brown that gruesome elbow you know that blew Matt Brown into the next uh in the next millennium, you know, when Ally Quinta came back after having a little bit of time off, you know, he knocked out Diego that kind of uh, blew up Ally Quinta. And that was just a couple of years ago, you know? So Diego has just recently entered this uh, period of time where, where now we're kind of like, well, what the hell are you doing, bud? Because you definitely don't seem like you belong here, but, but Diego has not always been that way. You mentioned it. One of my favorite fighters of all time, Nick Diaz, uh, you know, Diego holds a win over Nick. He, he's just, he's been in all these wars, man. And, and 
uh, you know, so I, I want to nominate him as an honorary fighter of the day, him and Evan Tanner, just because I hope that we have a good mix of uh, listeners where we have kind of a new, I don't want to, I don't want to call them casual fans, but that's kind of like the, the, the name that the internet has gave them. But I hope we have a lot of casual fans and they're learning a lot of really cool shit from us because uh, that's like, that's the whole reason why I kind of wanted to give these fights is to, to help people find these fights that they normally wouldn't have. And I know if you're just kind of catching on to UFC in this little Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey era, you probably truly don't know prime Diego Sanchez, which was just a fucking war horse, which is probably one of his 18 nicknames. Uh, but, but I mean, he, he was the banger back in the day, man. And, and he's had some good fights. So definitely check, uh, definitely check his fights out. Like Cody mentioned, check out Evan Tanner, man. That was another one of those guys that would just take one and give one, you know? Yeah. Uh, Evan, Evan Tanner, people forget, man. Evan Tanner, former world champion. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head a minute ago when you were talking about Forrest Griffin and, and we were talking about that very first season of the ultimate fighter. You can go back now and watch it because I, I still go back and rewatch the, the very first uh, 10 seasons of the ultimate fighter pretty frequently. I just finished season 10, by the way, the, the series of Kimbo on it. Um, but you can go back, go back and watch uh, the ultimate fighter one. and you, You'll see a young Forrest Griffin, a young Stefan Bonner, young Chris Lieben, Diego Sanchez. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you can kind of learn about these, uh, these legends because we're seeing them now in a time where we're, people like me and Cody or, or some of the older fans, like we're not used to seeing them have these kind of performances where they look weird and lackluster and, and just slow. Um, and we know them for these kind of older days. So that's all I'm saying is just kind of go back, check those fights out and, uh, and make your own opinion on these people and not just based on what I say, because if you listen to what I say, you're probably going to go hate tweet Joshua Fabian and Diego too, which, you know, probably don't do that because he's certified crazy now, but you know, <laughs> You know, and he'd still probably kick most people's asses, just not UFC fighters. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I don't know. Internet troll. He's yeah. he's gonna choke you. Maybe not his coach though. No, I'm gonna fuck that dude up. He <laughs> agrees to spar with me. Oh man, been a fun show, Josh. We've had a lot of fun. We'll talk about everything. We'll hopefully this card kind of makes us eat our words and puts on a little show this weekend and we'll recap everything from Holland and Danya, preview the very underrated fight card next week with Marlon Marais and Corey Sanhagen and also all the news in between. That's all coming up next week. Josh, fun time. Talk to you next week, man. Absolutely awesome, brother. Good night. As always, thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA.